Good afternoon, everyone. It's Karina here on Together FM, and welcome to the show today. I'm delighted to have you here. Um, I'm sitting in the studio for the next hour talking to a very inspirational man who I've been following for some time now as he's wrote um, a couple of books here, which I'm going to mention in a moment. Uh, I have Aidan McNally, who's an author. Um, he's a life li uh, liver who aspires to inspire those of us who suffer and struggle in life. Um, Aidan writes of memoirs uh, is to encourage us to all know it's never that bad. And two sons too many um, in life it basically is is a, a layman's book or the two books that he's wrote about um, these books were inspired by his story and um, sadly that was um, the loss of his two sons um, Dara at age 15 and Patrick at uh, one and a half um, and he's basically he's, uh, he's here to talk about his story and his journey and um, it's a it's a sad subject but it's a very you know I know you've turned things around and you actually you know You've been very inspiring to other people and supportive. And I just want to welcome to the show today anyway for Aidan. Thanks very much, Karina. <clears throat> um, thanks for the introduction too. Um, yeah, I mean, I know I have a unique life story. Um, my inspirations, I guess, that I've drawn upon definitely directly comes from the death of my children. Um, um, it's, it's not a new story to me. Though for yourself and listeners, um, yep, Dara died from what they call sudden death, sudden arrhythmic death or SADS. He just did not wake up for school uh, one morning when he was 15 years of age. Um, this was my first son, so um, Dara was the reason I became a father. His existence meant I was a father in life. And um, to lose him was devastation, um, multiplied by a million I suppose really. Um, I still find it hard to put into words exactly how to explain what that feels like. So for anyone that would listen and think, oh my God, that's unbelievable and almost impossible to imagine. Um, I lived through that and I still struggle with mm. imagining how severe it was. Um, so I was, I was floored as a man, as a young man, um, by Dara's death and having to bury my firstborn son. Um, and I think you know, um, you know. I know we're going to just talk in a little while all about Patrick as well. But um, Dara, when you lost Dara, I know that he was very much part of the community, and he was incredible. Um, a, a, incredible. I'd like to talk about the great things about Dara and the great. Well, his sport, I suppose. Sport. Yeah, his sport. Um, Dara, <clears throat> Dara was um, um, a talented hurler, and um, in, in a young age, you know, he'd been picked to play. He lived in Limerick. Um, with his mom and their family, um, we had separated um, a little earlier in his life. So he was picked for the Limerick panel, and um, as he said, I, I had the great fortune one time of being on a visit with him when the news came that he'd been picked and chosen for the Limerick team. And he jumped out of the car when I was dropping him back because he got the he got the news of this as we were driving to Limerick. And he ran around the front of the car and he swung his arms wide open and he said, this is the best day of my life. Um, mm. It's a young man that was trying out for the, the county panel and he got picked. And, and I, I had the great time of sharing that evening with him. Um, Incredible. <clears throat> and you know, at his funeral, all those guys from the Limerick team, they all showed up. Um, some of them had their jerseys on and they stood there by his coffin and they owned him. He was one of them. And to see young men um, 
on their comrade, on their buddy. Mm. You know, I, I didn't recall my own life being a young teenager and being at funerals and having that maturity or knowing anything about funerals, really, when I was younger. And I saw those kids really owning my son and, and I remember the coaches and even to this day, the, the, the team has grown up and this was a number of years ago and they, they won the All-Ireland. So Most coaches told me they were going to win the All-Ireland with Dara and... You know, he's very much a part of that, and they still recognise and acknowledge him as being part of their team, uh, though they also lost him those number of years ago. Well, that's it. You can imagine how that affected them and how, you know, the loss of Darrow was incredibly, you know, what it, what it did for them. And I suppose the team spirit, and they basically wanted more than ever to kind of pull together and um, make this a, you know... A, um, I think in his... In his, out of his with the young people, in mm. like his, his school mates the school teams, the county team, the mm. local parish team, all this. He was yeah. very active in sport. Mm. One of the things that made my legs go weak when on the day of the funeral, when we got to the church and it was a coffin out of a hearse, I lifted my head up to look in and there was like a, a, it's a small rural church in, in, in County Limerick. There's a slight driveway up to the church and the coffin, the hearse stopped there and they were to carry Dara into the church. And when I looked up, they had the kind of guard of honour, you know, up along the laneway. Mm. And they were all kids. They were his classmates. They were his teammates. They were anyone who was involved. They were all teenagers. Mm. And at that precise moment, I was bracing myself for what was happening. And I lifted my head. I was looking at my feet, you know, they're taking this coffin out. It's, it's a horrible situation. And I lifted my head to look up at the church. And I saw both sides of the laneway mm. lined mm. with young teenagers incredible and my, my knees point. went weak yeah i mean that is so beautiful to see mm. he in, in a very young life he had already touched a lot of people mm. he was already known yeah. he was liked he was loved mm. by a lot of uh, all his classmates all his teammates so it was amazing mm. though horrible mm. it was amazing and there was beautiful and to think the impact that he made in their lives and he's always a shrine to them and basically, I suppose, an inspiration for them to kind of, you know, they could see, you know, life in a diff from a different perspective when they lost Dara. Well, absolutely. Um, I think his, his classmates, you know, went on to do their junior cert and then fifth and sixth year and they got involved with what was happening in Ireland at the time about petitioning uh, the government to be able to present an issue to the government and um, they took that on as like a class project to petition to make available screening of the youth for cardio conditions that may not go detected under right. normal yeah. doctors. But they got behind that. That became their project. They were a passion. Super, and Dara's yeah. best friend, who also was selected for the for the team in hurling, mm. they were they were inseparable. The parish Dara lived in six months prior, that guy's older sister died at 19, Neve, And Dara and Neve are buried side by side. That parish was rocked to its knees with two young deaths from this sudden death. And uh, every year Dara's mom runs this great walk weekend, a walk on a cycle on the May weekend, and it's, it's called the Remembering Neve and Dara event and stuff yeah. and they're fundraising for Cry Ireland <clears throat> and the clinic out in Tower Hospital and there's a lot of things to do with remembering Neve and Dara and that was Dara's best friend who had lost his oldest sister six months prior Wow! 
So they were all only trying to understand what this was, and yeah. then Dara didn't wake up. And you see, this is this is the this is the crazy thing. I think you know it's it, you know it's something that we hear about uh, with younger kids in particular is cough deaths, the unexplainable, yeah. Yeah. Uh, where you know the the heart just stops working, and mm. it's just a case of that you know. And I know anybody out there who's you know who's struggled and had a can't even comprehend is it going through you know a cough death situation with a smaller child but you didn't expect this at the age of 15 well no and the, the, the thing is that there's no pre-screen like there's nothing that can be really the t- it's, it's that thing we've heard about the more famous athletes who've dropped on the pitch and these things that have happened and they've kind of brought mm. it to the attention of, of the mm. public it's the same thing the heart stops it's not a stroke, it's not a heart attack, it's, not, it's to do with the electronics of the heart. Okay. Some people, there's such a thing as long QT syndrome that people can take a pill for, which keeps it at bay. This can be a precursor to the sudden death. And to definitely to do with my son Dara was, you know, sudden death in the youth, mm. obviously. This can happen to older people too. Yeah. But like, you're right in saying that what would have been labelled as a cot death once upon a time, uh, it's very much... <clears throat> along the lines of what happened and there's no you could get a full clean bill of health medical the day before or part of the reason they've defibrillators now going in in more local regions and, and smaller areas and places is that even the defibrillators may not return or revive this person mm-hmm. unless you have them instantly yeah it's a hard just, it's just tick tock tick mm-hmm. and it stops it just it's a very important point just <coughs> while we're on, we're on today as well yeah. just um i think it's very important that everybody you know, finds out where you'll find a defibrillator, can't you describe the defibrillator? defibrillator yeah. Because um, I think it's really important to know that in a lot of local areas, like that, there is one of these available. It's just we don't know where to find them. And I know. Well, I think you know. You see, you look outside a Super Value or something, or the stores, and you see that green bright light or something, and you think, "What's that?" And it's yeah. kind of medical. Yeah. I mean, that's the device that could actually save somebody right, um, okay. on the street should they drop yeah. or or whatever. Um, um, you to know. be aware and be just you know nobody knows is that it's good to, to know what's mm. what's available and that these are actually outside of lo- certain super values and certain mm. places um, I think one of the things too is to be like our own family histories mm. do we have any heart conditions in our family Do we, is, is there any slight slight reason that you may have cause for concern to look into having some basic screening or simple um testing done just to keep an eye you're not being overcautious yeah. you're not being like you're not being nuts to yeah. just check um mm. dara was healthy as a horse mm. dara was an athlete seven days a week yeah i actually thought maybe his his, his body and his organs were not growing at the same rate or something because he was that active mm. i thought this is his heart's after exploding in his chest he's, he's he's too active too much sport what's going on mm. and um you know all the questions go to history and what happened with the doctors at the time and again the clinic out in Tallah, the Cry <clears throat> Clinic, cardiac risk in the youth. Um, they, there was tissues taken from Dara's heart um, in post-mortem and they were sent to laboratories in England where their um, only work is to is to study this sudden death stuff and try and figure it out. And as the doctor said to me, he said, you know, part of the problem is that we receive tissue after the fact. Mm. And how can we figure it out while the person is living? Because we always hear about it after someone has died and then Mm. the tissues and it's harder to trace and we're reliant on history and family history and medical history. Mm. And 
neither myself or his mother genetically possessed this thing at all, so we don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, there, that's very, like, I think it's really good to discuss this and mm, talk this, mm. talk about it, because I think it's something that, you know, obviously it's something that can creep up and it's something that we can actually, if we have any sort of family history, we can actually get, you know, tested mm, for this and mm. things can be detected through testing. Mm. Um, I know there's certain types of, uh, and the test they do on the heart is the... Um, oh, there's loads of different, different types ones, like, of different yeah, ones, stress so testing and stuff, how stress it reacts, was, yeah. under pressure and... Mm. You know, they say some precursor signs are if a child is fainting a lot. Okay. This could be a sign if they're a fainter. Mm. Um, you know, there's lots of theories on it. Mm. But it's usually when I sit down amongst other parents who've lost their children, mm. everyone has their own little theory because okay. we all want to understand it somehow. Um, to, which we go back to, like, when I realised or I got the news and the feelings that go along with losing your son um, to death, uh, it was like it blows your mind it, it rocks your world to um, to its core it, it, it levels you and um, you know I didn't know what to do <clears throat> as a young man um, my son is dead I couldn't face the general public I didn't know how to just walk down the street I, I was saying to you earlier yeah. um, you don't want to go out you want people's compassion and sympathies and affection but you don't want it you don't want them around you but you need people but you don't want it and it starts to get into this cycle of like horrible it's, it's really mm. a word that could uh, explain it and you know obviously today here talking with you growing out of that horrible mm. is what I found to be the the virtuous cycle in life um, we all are aware of a vicious cycle we all understand the negative straight away. Vicious cycle, oh, that's a vicious cycle. That's a, the opposite of a vicious cycle is a virtuous cycle, where I found myself being inspired by how people received my own story and reacted back to me, telling me they were inspired mm. by how I've grown out of that. And so that inspiration cycle, they're inspiring me and I'm inspiring them, Absolutely. and that's a never-ending beautiful thing. Yeah. And so to come from that really horrible place mm. and piece things together... Yeah. Absolutely. And that's interesting. You say piecing things together because, you know, no matter what happens in life, you know, and uh, the most horrendous situations that have happened to you, put you in that now you're actually out there and you're able to do, I suppose writing is a really fantastic way to release a lot of the emotional, that emotional things you're dealing with, uh, writing, releasing that, uh, talking as well. It's very difficult for, um, as you said, you went through the whole cycle of, you know, being out there and, and people don't know how to express um, mm. that, you know, the the fact that, that you've lo gone through what, it, what you've gone through and a, a lot of people don't know how to deal with that. Well, I guess myself, so, I was emotionally stuck mm. and I was already living quite a content, emotionally yeah. type life and uh, all of a sudden yeah. I did not know how to be. I didn't know how I wanted to be. I didn't know, I, I just didn't know. Emotionally, mm. and that becomes, I talked earlier to you and we can talk a little bit maybe that mm. as a youth I was in prison yes yeah well a little bit older and now i was in an emotional prison or a, or a mental prison mm. that i didn't know how to get out of or, or where was the door or mm. how do you figure this out feeling trapped yeah, yeah because i didn't door. know how i didn't know how to deal with the people who meant me well mm. and they just wanted to help me mm. rebuild if there's such a thing and rebuilding was what i needed to do 
Um, I think it's interesting, you know, um, also we're going to go back and talk a bit more about your your younger youth, years, yeah. your youth, because I really am fascinated with that. And I think it's great that you learned back then a lot of kind of resources and um, sort of coping mechanisms that kind of in your emotional sort of um, that really helped you, which is really interesting. But I just want to talk further about the fact that, you know, um, where did you actually start? Like, I know that, you know, to rebuild yourself, um, you talked a lot about um, earlier when we spoke about mindfulness and being in the present moment and well, not. Yeah. You know, um, after Dara's death and, you know, mm. being faced with this reality of mine that I, I questioned what was real. Um, how could this be real? Mm. What is life? Where is it gone? Why him? Why me? What is this about? Nobody understands. I mean, all these things start to really whiz yeah. 100 miles an hour through your mind. Mm. Um, now, that would lead me really into, um, I had a new son, Patrick. Okay. And um, Patrick was my new light in life. And I've said this many times before. Patrick was my hope to redo being a father. And this was my second chance. And when you get a second chance mm. at something like this, you want it. And this is what you were, let's say, praying for, really dreaming of. And Patrick was born. Patrick was a beautiful, um, big, strong baby. And... You know, as a young baby, like when you're holding your son and I'm whispering to him, you know, you've got a bigger brother, Dara. He's up there looking at us and I'm whispering to him. No, he hasn't a clue. He's a baby. But um, the first part of his life, I was uncomfortable being a father. I was a bit of a stress merchant. I was a bit worried something would happen to him because I was a father who had lost my son. And, you know, um, the worst fear imaginable would be anything would happen to Patrick having already been in the position of being a new father yeah but also a grieving father of course in a year and four months Patrick managed to walk his way to a pool deck and drown in a swimming pool on a, on a Sunday morning where I woke at about 5 30 a.m. and it was panic stations and I'm trying to perform mouth to mouth and, and will him back to life and you know I, mean, I was in the middle of that situation where I know it has to be done. It's CPR. I have no time to feel sorry for myself. But what's going on is not a second time. Like, let's say, I did a lot of cursing up towards the clouds and things like that. And it was an emergency. It was in the back of an ambulance and it was an emergency room. By the way, anyone listening, if you ever see an ambulance, get out of its way. I've been in an ambulance where my son was dying and the person in front didn't get out of the way. Now, well, just saying, Yeah. life teaches you. I'm one of those soldiers who knows exactly what that siren means. I was arguing and ripping oxygen masks out of a, um, you know, a, a medic guy in the back of an ambulance and trying to keep my son alive to the emergency room. And we went into the emergency room and because the level of oxygen in the bloodstream was now minimised to almost nothing, it was lactic acid and they ceased resuscitation efforts and that was the end of Patrick's life. And there was nothing inside my being. I couldn't will him to live and um, I'm not a small guy. I was always a big strong guy and I feel I probably at that time in that moment I could have lifted the hospital from its foundations maybe mm. if that meant he could live. Mm. Get just, it, I said to you earlier it's not like in the in the movies where 
you press on their chest and you blow a few breaths and then the water comes out and everything goes back to hunky-dory. It just didn't happen. It's real emergency panic and Patrick died and I was in a shop shopping for a baby's coffin and I was already a grieving father and now this landed on top of me and probably, let's just say, took what was left yeah. emotionally from my heart from my being you know I guess I never lost the will to live somehow funnily enough I may have come close yeah but Patrick's death compounded Dara's I've written before and all like there's they're not dissimilar or separate in terms of one was worse than the other both equally terrible yeah of course in different ways equally because they're your sons and yeah. yeah so it it really regardless of the way it happened is that loss and that mm. grief that you just have to and live with every day and every moment um and i know that you know it was five years ago they lost patrick yeah yeah um and it's just really you know building a way back because i know now and i have to say something on it like now you're actually you're such an inspiration now and you you know you've turned you're, you're basically looking at ways to help other people and um, because you know what it's like to have that loss and that grief and how it tears you apart and how people find a way to manage to get through each moment of every day and it's taken step by step um, well, this is where the writing like i um, couldn't believe what happened in my life i mean i'm as true as i'm sitting here in front of you yeah I was looking over my life and saying, what is this? Is, is this real? Is this really a dream? Mm. Will I wake up from this? This was the reality I was in. Yeah. My day-to-day living. You go in the shop and you buy something and the person behind the counter, you know they have no idea what's going on inside of you yeah. and how difficult it took you to go to that shop mm. to get to the mindfulness. What I didn't understand how I was trying to live because I was broken down to the basic I had to tell myself I must get up in the morning shower eat that was it just function that's it yeah anything after that was bonus time yeah and this was because the prison of emotion I was stuck I was I was messed up of course and Obviously, naturally so, I've mm. lost my children. Um, this is where the writing came. I started to write out my own life because I couldn't believe it myself. My reality was becoming distorted through all this trauma, through what was going on. I could not get a grasp of what life was anymore for me. And my writing led me to write it for myself, to try and read it back and convince myself, yes, this did happen, man. Mm. You must keep going. This is real. Yeah. And that then became my first book, Two Sons, Too Many, mm. a memoir, life story. And because as I look back over it all, more unbelievable stuff was reoccurring in my memory. It was like, oh yeah, wait a minute, and that's where I was going back to the youth. And mm. I dropped out of school. I found my way to prison because I was a bald boy. And um, I'm looking back at this and going, what? Wait a minute, you know, I, um, I was in prison. Yeah. Yeah, I was. Yeah. Unbelievable. Wait a minute. I was, I'm saying to you, I was out in California at 
celebrity parties with these well-known famous people. Yeah, that was my name on the list. Mm. How did I do that? How did, a lot of these things are like, and then I'm looking for, you look what built up to, where did Dara die? What did I do yeah. 25 years ago that twisted or torn in a certain way that brought about this? Because people talk about manifesting stuff in your life and, right. oh, if I believe in this and I believe in this and if I do this a lot. I lived a pretty good life. Yeah. I was a ball boy. I changed it around. I lived pretty good. I didn't manifest my children mm. to die. Mm. These things just happen. And some people try to comfort you and say, sometimes bad things happen to good people. Mm. It's just part of life. Well, on, Lauren, on that note, um, I'm going to go and take a little break for a song, but um, we've lots more to talk about. <laughs> and we're back in the studio welcome back at together fm i'm here at the studio with Eden mcnally um and we've been talking all about um his story and the loss of his two sons but you know the books that he's uh he's wrote and uh, the inspiration that he is giving um and i think that uh, it's a really good thing to talk about now to lead into is uh, 17 and life which is a major crossroad of just a simple intersection and this is his more by aiden mcnally so i'm a delighted about this because um i've just been given one of your lovely books which is well, yeah, very this, grateful to um, receive yeah this this book is um that's my second book my first one was the two sons too many which was obviously my whole piecing together my life and looking back over it and um trying to figure out what had happened mm. and the 17 and life um book was really about them um, in rebuilding myself because mm. i'd been floored by the death of my children so 17 in life was um, it kind of follows along different things that I found when I was innocent as a child growing into my teenage years. Where were you from? Are you from Dublin yourself? It's out by Scaries, Lakshini, Scaries, North County, Dublin, yes. Okay, okay. Uh, out by the sea, lovely fields, yeah. we roamed the fields, we, we, we you know, wandered the beaches. Mm. And Beautiful Very much a yeah. free mm. um, um, growing up kind of place. Okay, and, yeah. um your childhood was quite a, you know, was quite a good one. But oh, yeah, it was good. It was great. Yeah, great. Yeah, absolutely, great. yeah. yeah. Um, I was a in... high achiever in school. Okay. I was, um, I was the jock kind of guy. I was great at sports. I was great academically. I, mm. Anything I touched my hand to seemed to um, be mm. easy. And um, in first year, I was bored with school. This wasn't for me. Mm. I wanted to leave. But I'd started drinking. So, I was a young kid, just turning into my teens. I'm, I'm drinking, I'm liking it. I'm mm. um, smoking cigarettes. Then I start smoking joints. So I'm using drugs. And I said, school's not for me. I'm out. I'm leaving. Which wasn't something we were supposed to do, and parents didn't like it or appreciate it, and the police didn't like it and the teachers didn't like it and all the people that rally around that kind of thing are telling you you've got to be in school man it's against the law mm. you got to stay until at least you're 16. i said no that's not for me so how old were you in that um, 
13, 13, wow. 13, 12, 13, 13. Yeah, 13. okay, that's very young. Mm. And um, out in Scaries, um, it was a fishing port. And so I was able to get work on the fishing boats as a young man. I was a big kid, so I looked a little older. Mm. And I started fishing for prawns out in Scaries. And fishing really represented to me, on the fishing boats there's a galley and a place you can cook, and there's cabin and bunks you can sleep in. Mm. So now I just found the ideal place where I can sleep, eat and work and get money. Mm. And then on my time off I can go spend that money. Mm. I can get drunk and I can get high and I can live a little bit of an older lifestyle. I'm resident a young teenager. And that kind of recklessness um, led to a lot of fighting, a lot of in the streets kind of stuff, wheeling and dealing. and um, Very fast track in my teenage years from 13 to 17. Um, a lot of court cases, a lot of trouble and problems. And, and I was in a cell and I was locked up. And uh, no more doing what I want. I'm a man at 15 years of age. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That was youth for me. God almighty, yeah. Mm. Wow. And now I look back over it and it's not about to be proud or not proud or whatever. Mm. No, I, most of us wouldn't change our story. Yeah. You know, um, I wouldn't change it. Yeah. And I've done bad things. Mm. And I wasn't a great kid. And I was a tough guy. Mm. And I did damage and I didn't care. And all the time I was in a world of chaos anyway. Mm. It was when we were ashore and not working. We didn't rob to get money to use drugs. Mm. We worked hard and earned it, but we earned a lot of money, a lot of party. Of course, you didn't know how, at, at that young stage, you know what I mean? You think you want to kind of grow up fast and live an independent life and you make wrong choices. And But you said, it, you know, those You said, a great, you said those, a great thing, yeah. grow up fast. I'm going to fast forward a little bit. When I turned yeah. 18 and was legally allowed to buy alcohol, mm. to, to order a pint, I'd already stopped before I turned legally really? old enough. Isn't that incredible, yeah. yeah. That fast track in those years, you yeah. want to get there, you want to be there. Oh, then once you get there, it's like I, when I got alert. there, mm. I was done already. I was wow. finished. Incredible, yeah. 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 That's the fast, drugs and alcohol yeah. were no more. Um, the 17 and Life book, A Major Crossroads or Just a Simple Intersection, was like, are decisions in our life, are they the major crossroads? Do we turn left, do we turn right? Is that what determines our life at those teenage years? Did that determine my life? Mm. Or was it the f being forced by a prison cell to have to make a grown-up decision? Now, I was in prison and I didn't inject heroin. What I used to do is I used to hide, hide everybody's needles in myself. And so for that I used to be passed down papers and cigarettes and hash and I'd roll all the joints and give everyone their needles at night and they'd all shoot up heroin and I'd roll the joints and pass them out and then I'd take back all the needles and I'd stash them again and for that I got breakfast in bed then someone would get up and get me breakfast. I'm living in prison thinking this is great. I'm like, how better could it be? But then at times I'm looking at and I'm thinking, I can't even go to the shop and get a chalk ice. This, mm. this is not the place for me. This is wrong. What are you doing? Thinking this is great. 
Isn't that great? And you would have been uh, quite young, so you would have been in a, a separate section in a prison with all younger sort of Well, we were in St. Yeah? Pat's in Dublin, and which is the juvenile. So that's yeah. right. Okay. Yeah. And Pat's then, was there all of this? Like, sort of, like, it's it's really kind of scary to believe, to think that, you know, the injecting, the things that are actually were going on. Oh, there wasn't yeah, that supervision ooh. back then, you know? Uh, I would hope things there had There was more drugs yeah. in prison than I ever saw outside of prison. That's the truth. And that age, like, you know. Yeah, you can, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very and, scary. Um, I'd have to go to court cases in the in, in, in the forecourts and different appeals and trying to get out and you go into a van and then you wait and then you pick up you end up in a holding cell in the right run in Dublin and now that's prisoners from Mount Joy as well and from wherever and so it didn't really matter that you were young or you're not separated anymore and mm. going on visits and people are passing drugs and yeah, all this stuff was all happening, yeah. For sure. And I'm living and thinking, oh, it's grand. Yeah. I make the most of it. Mm. I'm getting breakfast in bed anyway. Wow. I'm getting it. This guy loaned me as a walkman. I got in trouble for a fight in there one time. I got in a fight. And the the warden, if you like, or the, I forget the name, chief officer, CO or C yeah. something else. Anyway, I called down to his office and that meant 24 hour lockup. So you've lost the privilege of being allowed out of your cell mm. for being in a fight, for being a ball boy. And it was like, it depended how he felt. You might get two nights, they call them. You get two nights, three nights, four nights. So there was no out to the recreation. There was no watching TV. There was no, you were just in your cell all the time, out for food, back, out for food, back. So you got 24-hour lockup. But these guys I was hiding all the drugs for, mm. I had um, massive lumps of hash to roll myself joints. And he gave me his Walkman because, oh, you're on nights. You need something to keep your company in. And I'm like, oh, this is great, man. Now they give me two little bottle, bottle of Coca-Cola. And I'm like, sure, I have it made here. This is great. Mm. And that's just where I was at as a young kid. Yeah. That like, no, looking yeah. back. Yeah. That was the wrong place to mm. be. This is not life. Mm. <laughs> Hold on, come back to your senses. You it know? must have been very difficult. You know, I can't even imagine your parents, what they had to go through mm. to actually um, put them through what you did at the mm. time. Um, I know you spoke very nicely of your mother earlier on. You mentioned herself. I think that, you know, obviously, um, you know, things, that's a difficult thing to come back from as well. The, t the life that you thought you were living mm. at the time and, and you kind of rebel and, and so many well, young people are doing that now. And When I was drunk, they were not going to tell me how it is. Mm. They're not going to tell me what to do. I'm my own boss. I'm my own mind. So I rebelled and I rebelled hard against them. And um, let's fast forward a number of years when I was 35, I think it was, 35, no, not 35, I was 29. Mm -hmm. um, my father died of um, lung cancer and I got to sit with him um, through that time of chemos and all the problems. And one time I lay on the bed with him and, um, you know, we didn't know how close we were. They gave him three months to live and he maybe, say, went a year and more. Mm -hmm. So we never knew when it was all really going to finally happen. But I lay on the bed with him one time and I said, Dad, um, look, because you chased me, I found my way back. And uh, I owe you that. I am who I am because you didn't give up on me. And he couldn't really see through his eyes and he reached his hand out to my hand. And I never really would have held my dad's hand. Mm. But I'm lying on the bed with him and he reached and he held my hand. He gave a little squeeze and he says, that's great to hear. He says, I have always thought... The more I chased you, the further you went. That if I had a stop chasing, maybe you wouldn't have went so deep. He says, I've mm -hmm. carried that for years. 
So I got that beautiful moment in my life. I would think to say, that's just part of my story. He tried to stop me beating up somebody else. I was a violent lunatic. And, um, you know, that's the man I got to hold his hand and uh, tell him thanks. Yeah. And, um, you know, for any child that's out there now that think their parents don't know nothing, mm. they definitely, no matter how weird or twisted it seems, they're doing it for your for our own be uh, our own good our own well-being absolutely and there's, there's there's nothing that teaches us how to be great parents you know we all use our instinct and we have to go with that and you know there's choices we have to make and it's the most difficult job we'll ever have um so i think that was incredible you had that moment with your father mm. because it just made everything made everything right for you to actually see that you were able to in your way it was like your, you know, your apology to him and saying that you were you were there with him. When, well, I never realised that yeah. he carried that. Yeah. I never realised that he thought, oh, I was to blame. I pushed him mm. too far. The f more I chased, the deeper he went. Yeah. The mm. further he ran away from me, so the deeper into a more corrupt circle he went. Mm. And where I'm sitting there telling him, so the two people with two different sides of the same Absolutely. story. Different perspective. I'm, yeah. uh, no man, you have, yeah. you, you, by the way, you hanging in there, you brought me back, you dragged me back. And um, so the 17 and Life book is about yes. that, is about being that teenager and going from the innocence of achieving and sports and learning about girls and leaving school mm. to boom and court. And, and basically 17 because, you know, there's rites of passage around the world where people go through tribal rites or stuff at 15 or quinceanera or it's a big party at 15 years of age. Um, there's the sweet 16s and another big party in a recognised time. And here we have, you turned 18, you're now legal to drive and to drink and all this. But 17, that's stuck in the middle, nothing. Yeah. You're supposed to act like an adult, but you have absolutely no responsibility mm. or no recognition. And you're just stuck. You've gone from the sweet 16s, you haven't yet made 18. And at 17, it's a very good point. I was stuck there. Yeah. And the place I was stuck <laughs> is the end of a prison um, cell block on 24-hour lockup looking out the window thinking, how do I get out of here? What yeah. has brought me here? What how is going on? How long did you spend on? there, actually? A number of months. Right, okay. But then um, the chance I got, I was sentenced. Um, I was allowed to go to an adolescent treatment centre. It was the one, only one of its kind in the country at the time. And I was down in Cork. I was set up and ran by a man called Father Rock, who is a Capuchin um, priest, father. Mm. And um, through a team of um, almost volunteer staff that he had and very low wages, they... They were running this house. It was like an open prison, but the only requirement they had was that anyone they would re they would accept me, providing I had a two-year suspended sentence over my head. Mm. So is that you can't run or you go back for another two years. And I was in the four courts in Dublin with a barrister telling me, you're looking at eight to 15 years in prison. This is the sort of sentencing you're looking at. Wow. This is your chance. So I took it. Bit of a wake-up call to be told that I was only yeah. 17 wow. and I just thought you know I'm looking at Garda full of attitude and I thought oh, get away from me this is who I was then yeah so I got that chance and I took it and sober living started from that time forward and um, mm -hmm. those are the stepping stones or the foundations or the tools perhaps they were being instilled in me I didn't know later in life I'd be burying my children and need to draw on every resource possible to carry myself through. Absolutely, yeah. So that was the two sons too many was the life story. Seventeen and life was about my youth. 
and I have a new pump book coming out next week called Layman's Handbook in Life Simple Tools to Change How We Live A Journey to Self and I'm calling it self-help because it's a, a very simplistic version. I'm trying to simplify self-help. I know there's stigmas mm. that exist. I know people struggle, and not necessarily like I have with, with death of their children. But through those things, I learned how to do the mindfulness, how to appreciate my life. And I'm sitting here with you today as a guy who's lost his children and been through some trauma. Yeah. And I'm telling you that life's quite beautiful. It is worth living and it is um, full of joy and nice stuff. Yeah. And so this new book coming up, 10th of October, it's going to be available, 10-10, uh, is, is, when I was stuck, there was no, I felt there was no manual. I always kept saying to people, there was no class in school for this. Mm. There's no handbook for this. How am I supposed to cope? Yeah. So they say in the writing world, if there's a book out there that you want to read and it doesn't exist, write it. Love us, yeah. So um, I wrote this layman's handbook mm. to encourage people. It's a journey to self. It's how I had to look at myself, how I discovered mindfulness or stuff like that. Yeah. How I discovered my breathing. And just on that note, if we go back to when we were a baby, born, brand new, our first 60 seconds in the world, there's a woman or a man, a midwife, whose career is to be right there at that time. And then we'll smack our bottom to make us cry and breathe. Mm. This was the most crucial thing at the moment of our birth. Yes. Mm. Well, how do we end up adults now when we forgot about how to breathe? We let all this life stuff get in the way. Absolutely, yeah. And so, mm. through my tragedies, and the only way I could rebuild myself was to go right back. Mm. And what was the foundation and the cornerstone of how I began in this world was to breathe. And so, in my layman's handbook, is a lot about slowing my life down and how I've had to mm -hmm. discover my breathing and my breath and realize that all those problems outside out there, the people, the job, the money in the bank, the problems, the stress, the pressure, the thing that keeps our mind racing, mm -hmm. they're out there. What can I do? Mm -hmm. I can just breathe. And once I build a little foundation of that, now I can tackle all of those things out there. Yeah. I must develop myself first. Absolutely. And I think, you know, to sit in the here and now and sit in the moment. And that's where, you know, that's where I think mindfulness is such an important, important thing to teach our young people from a very young age is how to if you're, if you're not thinking about the past, and you're not thinking about the future. You know, there's too many things that you can think and be distracted by. If you sit in the moment and you're here and you're present and you breathe, that's the basis of everything to kind of be able to move forward. So, and, Absolutely. You know, and really like, you know, mindfulness, meditation, all these mm -hmm. things are becoming, people are more and more tapping into this more and more it, than it's ever. It's great they're becoming aware of it. Yeah. And back, I guess, you know, is it that because we're geographically in Ireland and, you know, I don't know, for women it's different than men and our emotional retardations in men in Ireland and all this stuff yeah. was so foreign. Mm. And, and now we're never too late. And now is the now. Mm. It's turning a corner. Yeah. Things are becoming acceptable or acknowledged or people are becoming aware that there's no need to slag each other off anymore mm. and make fun and mm. criticize yeah. and be harsh to each other. Mm. We're learning that, hey, life and all that stuff out there is quite difficult. Mm. Best thing I can do for myself is feel good. Think clearly. 
These are the things inside. This is where my life is happening inside of me, this right now. Yes, yeah. Everything else out there, and as you said, the basis, if you can build a contentment and clear and have a clarity in your mind, mm. I believe there's nothing out there mm. can stop you. Absolutely. And this is where my journey was from being yeah. flattened. How do I go on without my children? Yeah. How do I go on? What mm. is going on? How do I do this? I didn't know it was called mindfulness. I didn't know these labels were with me, but that's how I was living. Mm. I had to tell myself, just today, get up, shower, eat, breathe. Yeah. And from there, build. Build from there. Which has led me to writing books, and now I'm going to launch a fourth book next week. Wow, and incredible. It's happening. And I think this is the thing, through all of this, through all the bad, you found your purpose, and your purpose is, you know, is something greater than anything, you know, it's very big, it's very great. It's this, There's so many people out there that are struggling to cope and deal with things, and sometimes situations drive us towards making a difference and helping life be easier for other people and you know as you said there wasn't a book there wasn't there isn't that it's like you know i think you know going to certain groups and certain things are so important and i'm going to give out some details which i think is really important at this point to give out some helplines um because there is people listening in today that are really um struggling to cope and deal with the loss of any other loved ones, especially children. And just on, yeah. you know, there's so much we could talk about and go on for we hours and days and Absolutely, all that. Yeah. But in saying that, you know, not necessarily the loss or the experience that I have had, mm. that's what it took me to learn it. But what I recognise and understand now is that people may have find themselves in a much worse position in their own mind and their feelings mm. by what I might consider a much lesser situation. Yeah. But to them, I can't, deny, and I can't go and have coffee with everybody out there. Mm -hmm. So writing these books was a way to try and reach, or doing this show with you today is to try and reach people and say, look, absolutely, take it from me. I know how bad it is. I know what suicidal thoughts yeah. are. I know what it's like to want to end my life. I know what it's like to be drugged up to the eyeballs. I know what it's like to be in prison. I, I, I've all these life experiences. Absolutely, yeah. My children, gravesides, my dad holding his hand, all these horrible things that were really deep emotion. And I'm here saying, promoting <laughs> to anybody that wants to listen, I'm putting a handbook out there that's going to explain about life's worth living. Absolutely. There's yeah. a contentment mm. we can get to because I got there. Yeah. And I came from a way, way down. Absolutely, yeah. And, uh, so that like uh, you know this is the thing and you know the steps and then what you've gone through and how you've dealt with that is something that really for you to be sitting here and you like it's incredible because you do see life differently now and you're incredibly positive and optimistic and I think that's a really really incredible thing that you actually have within you you've discovered that through the depths of despair you've discovered ways so I do feel that your book is something that will help people and comfort people in so many ways and give them the step-by-step -step process of how you've done it. Um, as you said, every situation is different. Mm. Um, every situation. It's just, if you can take one thing from what you've said today and one thing from your book and one thing from, there's a message and there's something, there's a, there's a passion, there's something that you've actually found that has helped you. And I think this is where we're all reaching. So many people are reaching for those answers and they're not finding them. So mm. guidance is such an important thing. And, um, I think this is the reason why I think uh, people need to actually do, is there some way that anyone can check you out and check out more about you and um, your book well, obviously your books well, um, a number of books but I'm online um, Twitter Facebook um, Instagram Super. at yeah. 
Mm. Ah, two sons, too many. Okay. I mean, that's me, Aidan McNally. I don't write blogs and I'm chatting mm. about things and I put some videos live and all. Great, okay. Basically like that, to try and help others mm. realise. And that message would be, yeah. I'm someone who's been through the ringer. Yeah. And I'm here to promote that life is good. Mm. It really is. Yeah. If we can slow it down and take a look, mm, mm. we can read it like a children's book. Love it, it's, yeah. It's, it's really possible. Well, as I'm totally inspired by you today. I think you've, you've just blown my mind with, you know, where you've been and, and the path I can see. You know, life is very, very, very positive one for you. And I know that what you've gone through and where you're going now is one to inspire. And I know that Dara and Patrick will be looking down at their daddy now and you are uh, sitting here a walking uh, shrine you're actually uh, mm-hmm. you know you, you're a billboard as we say <laughs> with yeah. your sweatshirt today you've got Darren one arm Patrick on the other and two sons too many and, uh, and and everything else you're putting out there is something that's going to help support people in their decisions to get through the hard times and I think that's your message here today mm-hmm. and that's what it's all about no matter how dark a place you're in there's always a light so you just really need to follow that light and find a way and back you'll find it if we slow it down if we slow down our life and yeah. the reason I put together this layman's handbook that comes out next mm. week is to take to deal with that stigma look there's nothing wrong with you yeah we all need a little bit of let me read another guy's perspective and see mm. because a lot of the self-help books are very complicated they're very brain drained stuff mm. I just want to put it in simple terms yeah I'm absolutely. a simple man who mm. lives a simple life mm. but it's beautiful it's fantastic, yeah. No, so. Well, thank you so, so much for being here today. I'm going to just give out a couple of helpline numbers. First of all, um, I just want to, anyone that has has suffered the loss of any child, um, there is different organisations that I would urge you to reach out to and get the support that you need. Um, SAD Ireland is one of them, SAD. Um, they, SADs. SADs, is it? Sudden Adult Death Syndrome. Sudden Adult Death Syndrome. It's a group for parents that have lost children. You would know, way. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, support them. And then there's um, another one here, Anam Cara, which is A-N-A-M-C-A-R-A dot I-E. And they're bereavement support for children, for, for parents, parents that have lost their children. Yeah. Um, and there's another one, there's Cry. Uh, clinic with over in talent as well. Um, that deals with the cardiac risk in the youth. Cry. Okay. Yeah, cardiac risk in, the, in the young. Yeah, absolutely. Because you um, know them all, really. Yourself. There's a number of them out yeah. there, but the Anam Car. I think if there's any any parent out there that has lost a child, mm. not pre- the SADs and the Cry are specifically to do with the cardiac and the sudden oh, cardiac. death. Okay. Yes. Yeah. The Anam Cara is parents who've lost a child by any means at all. Mm. Um, they offer there's counselling available. There's group network support. There's there's group functions and days out to mm. to have a support network and. I didn't do any of this by myself, you know. Mm. Um, we need all the support we can Absolutely. get sometimes. Mm. And, um, and to be with people that understand. I guess the fact that letting people know they do exist. Yeah. There's sometimes someone who might be stuck in that doesn't even know where to look. Yeah. But they do exist. There they is do. stuff. So please, you know, reach out and, and talk as well. Talking and writing. And just, you know, there is help and support for you out there. And, um, you know, our hearts are with you. And um, I just... You know, I'm just thank you so much for being here today, Aidan. I'm just so. Uh, thank you. Thanks a million. Um, I'm delighted to be here. It's great. It's been great having you today, and thank you for sharing your stories. And um, and thank you for your book, Seventeen in Life: A Major Crossroad and Just a Simple Intersection. I actually um am excited about reading this book, and um 
it's it sounds like an amazing one along with the other ones and listen everybody out there listening in today i hope you all have a wonderful day and weekend and i'll be back next week so thank you <laughs>